0: Welcome to an inspirational message, recorded live at Little Falls Christian Center. Glorify thy name, glorify thy name in this place, and may your spirit move and break the yokes of bondage. And may the eyes of our understanding be opened. And if for the rest of our lives, we will only sing and say that you alone are holy, then that is all that we will do because you are worthy to be called holy. Yes, let's give the Lord a praise offering for us. He is holy. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, band. Thank you so much. Glorify thy name. Glorify thy name. It's a privilege once again to speak on behalf of God because it is his word. It's never mine or never ours. So may that word speak with all of you. And just once again, welcome also to our live audience, our family that seems far, but you are so near May the Holy Spirit also minister unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ. I was reading a few weeks ago something I like seeing and finding out what's happening with Christianity worldwide. I like to see what is happening in other countries. And something struck me about what's happening in England. And I became rather discouraged when I started reading it, but... This this, this is a nice ending, so don't, don't fear about this. But they're talking about churches over the last couple of years that have been closing down in England. It has just become too hard to maintain these buildings. They don't have the funds, and therefore the churches are closing. And then one particular pastor was writing, but a strange phenomenon has started happening recently. And that is that he had noticed that people started meeting up in the malls, school centers, and in the parks. And they started having small fellowship groups. And he noticed that for the first time in his experience, real church was happening. And this encouraged me because this is what the body of Christ is supposed to be. We should never be confined to a building. And if we ask ourselves this question, if a building would be shut down, would the church still continue? Because that is the church. And it takes me to the book of Luke 19, verse 10. And you can just, I'll I'll just guide us through this. In that whole chapter 19, building up to that, that's the story of um, Zacchaeus, um, of whom you've all heard of, where Jesus came to his house and he gave in the end more than what he had taken and he promised to give back um, quadruple that which he had taken. And in the end, in verse 10, our Lord Jesus says this. After all of this that had happened to Zacchaeus, he says these words. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. For the Son of Man has come but to seek and to save the lost. And I think sometimes we miss the seeking, the seeking part. And if I just look at those two words, seek, here in the Greek, it means to search for in order to find and to get to the bottom of a matter. So it's a serious seeking. And the word savior interestingly means to heal. It says here to make whole and to save from a disease and its effects we all have this disease called sin and Christ came to heal us from that disease he came to seek and he came to save and simply put what I want to say to you this evening God is coming for you God is coming for you because you're that important He's not going to leave you alone. It says here, when the Son of Man has come, where did He come from? All the way from heaven to the earth for you. He's coming for you and He's not going to leave you alone. That is how special and how precious you are in the sight of God. Three things He did when He came down. Firstly, His focus was you. From the beginning his focus was you. In Ezekiel 34:11 it is written, behold God speaking, behold I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. God says, I've got an appointment with you because I myself is coming for you. I will come for my sheep. God makes it personal and he is personal. He takes it very personal, what's happening in your life. So know that, that's how precious you are. Second thing, God had a purpose. And that purpose was to reconcile and restore us unto Him. His word says in John 12:32, our Lord Jesus speaking these words, He said, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to me. That was His purpose. And then He had a plan. God had a plan to execute this. And that's, that plan was Jesus, our Savior. And that plan didn't end with our Lord Jesus because we as the church became the extension of our Lord Jesus Christ to do all of this. God came to seek you first and then to save you. The evangelist Reinhard Bonker said these words, of all the religions in the world, Everyone out there, they all seek God and they're desperate for God. They will build themselves little images and little statues and they will do a lot of things because they will seek God. All religions do that except one, Christianity. We're the only religion where God seeks us. Get that, child of God. God seeks us first, and when we respond, He creates in us this desire to seek Him, to learn more, and to draw closer to Him. We are a chosen people, we are a blessed people because He sought us first. That is the God whom we serve. What a powerful God we serve! And you know, it is still the greatest desire from our God to seek and find a lost person, to have that person saved. It's still the heart of his work and his desire. And he takes it very serious and we must never, never not take it serious. God takes it so serious, someone died. Someone died so that you and I could live. A son, his son. We would barely let our children die for someone out there. His son died. So never underestimate how serious God takes a lost soul. He takes it very serious. So much so that even when the church is raptured, evangelizing the world will not cease. Especially God is coming for the Jews. He's coming for Israel and they must know this. And this is why we pray for them. And this is why their eyes will open because read, listen what it is written. In the book of Revelation 7 verses 4 as well as Revelation 14 verse 1, God makes it very clear. He has chosen 144,000 evangelists to evangelize the Jews. He names them by tribe, 12,000 each. Because he is going to fulfill what he already said in Zechariah 12 verses 10. More than 500 years before Christ was born. This is what God said. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. They have no idea now whom they pierced. But the revelation is going to come. And it says further yes, they will mourn for him, capital letter. As one mourns for his only son and grieve for him, capital letter H, as one grieves for his firstborn. God is so serious about the lost that even the Jews are not going to escape. They say it's going to be the largest form of evangelism that is going to take place in a, in that short period of a time. Because if you just look at the, at the estimated amount of Jews in the world today, there are various numbers, but... It seems like 17 to 18,000 seems on par. And if you think how many of them really accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And before I continue, please hear my heart. I'm not nailing the Jews. I love them. We pray for them. We love Israel. We will always pray Israel because this is where this comes from. This is where the Son of God comes from. If 17,000 Jews are out in the world and let's say just 5 million of them, I say, sorry, 17 million Jews and just 5 million are saved, then 12 million are going to stay behind. 144,000 is coming for them. God is so serious about reaching out to the lost. He's so serious. He leaves the 99 behind and coming for the one. That one, but he cannot do it alone. It's, it, it warps one's mind to think that God needs our help And he really needs our help. And let me explain. Because this word is out there for everyone to read in the world, everyone. But not everyone reads it. Not everyone will believe what God says. So in man's warped mind, they would for some reason believe if someone of their kind, i.e. ourselves, If we would speak to fellow men about this, they will listen, but they will not listen to God. So God is using the church and is looking at you and me to be that one that can speak to another one of the same kind, such as us, to reach those people. That is the power of how God looks at Evangelism. We all know that the vision had been cast for this church now. A thousand souls. It is not about a number. It is not about a seat. It's about a living person. That is how serious it is. And I've heard people say, how are we going to do this? And what must we do? We are asking the wrong questions. Because God is asking, whom shall I send? Whom shall I send? The what and the how is already in here. We must just go and read it. It's very simple. I'm not going to spend much time in this, but I'll just quickly enlighten you. All Christians, believers, should have heard this scripture by now, Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. God tells us what we must do. He defines evangelism, evangelizing, reaching out the lost in one sentence. He says there, we do these three things, and I'm summarizing Just these three things. Number one, disciple them. Number two, baptize them. Number three, teach them. That's what we must do. That is what we must do. How are we going to do this? And this is where it gets tricky because we miss this. Because the previous verse in verse 18, our God clarifies how this must be done. Because there it says, Jesus our Lord speaking, All authority had been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Then it starts with the next verse. Therefore, we cannot do the therefore unless we realize what is the therefore prior to that. Jesus, our Lord, has got all the authority in heaven and on earth, and He has divided it unto His church. We have got that same authority as Christ. He did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit because we are saved. 1 Corinthians 12 from verse 3 onwards tells you that the Word of God says, Jesus said to the disciples, He says, go and tarry in Jerusalem and wait until you have been endued with power from on high. We have the authority in Christ and we have the power to do it just like Christ. He says it here, John fourteen twelve. Most assuredly, I say to you, He who believes in me, the condition, the works that I do, he will do also. And the greater works than these, he will do. And most of us just read that and we think, wow, we're going to do greater works than God. But then he qualifies and he says, because I go to my Father. What does that mean? Our Lord Jesus only had three years to do what he could do. And he primarily evangelized his fellow brethren, the Jews in Israel and in Jerusalem and those surrounding areas. He went to his father, he said, now it's up to us. The greater works is not greater in power and authority. The greater works is you and I in number to do and reach further than he could in his short time that he administered to the world. But God gave us that privilege to do so, and we have the authority and the power to do that. Zechariah 4, 6 says this, It is not by power nor by might, but by the Spirit of the Lord. We do this by the Holy Spirit. I want to ask, and now listen carefully, please. Everyone that's 30 years and older, not younger, just catch this, 30 years and older, please just stand for me. If you are 30 years and older, please stand for me. And I'm standing with you, so, so you can all relax. That's me as well. Okay, look at this. Look at those who are, are seated. Because they are the ones who are looking at us. How are we going to show them how to reach to the lost? What example are we going to show them? These are the ones who are looking at us. What are we teaching them? Mothers and fathers, teachers wherever you are, business leaders, Christian, Sons and daughters of the Most High God, they are looking at us to see how we are going about to reach the lost. Thank you. You may be seated. It's a lot of us. What example are we going to give them? Because the generation is going to pass away unless we take care of this new generation. They are looking at us, their eyes are upon us, and so is God's eyes upon us. You know, it is found, and this is a shocking, a shocking statistic, that 75% of people that come to church have been by personal invitation by someone. 75%. And I, I can vouch for that. The day that I set my feet in this church, was because of people that was living here in in Little Falls and I was living in Kenmare. Every Sunday evening, they would drive there, pick me up, take me to church, take me back and come back home. 75% of people sit in church because of a personal invitation. Not a letter that the pastor wrote, not something, an SMS that was sent, a personal invitation. It was found, they did a study over 10 years. They interviewed 50,000 people over a period of, of, of 10 years. Of that 50,000, more than 80%, more than 80% came to church because they were invited by a person. Only 6% of people come to church because of an invitation from the pastor from the pulpit. 2% because an invitation is given to them um, through the post or through the social media. You have all that power in you to reach that one person. The statistics proves it. God's word empowers us to do that. We've got the authority to do that. But whom shall I send? Who is that one person that God can send? Now, Billy Graham, one of my favorite favorites that I, that I listen to, he tells the story of a pastor friend of his. Now, Billy Graham was also an evangelist. He had this pastor friend in this church, and they had 400 people in that congregation. And over time, he realized the, the, the notion of the congregation was this. Well, we paid to get this pastor here, and he's going to do all the work. And it was not long that this pastor realized going, something is going to happen to him soon because he's working at a frantic pace, doing everything in the church. But that was the thought and the idea of the congregation. This is the pastor's job. He must do it. So the one sermon, this is true. The one morning sermon, he dished out a blanket piece of paper to everyone that's sitting here. And imagine we do this tonight to you. Give you a blanket piece of paper. And he said to all the people in the church, just write on that piece of paper, what gifts do you think you have from God? What gifts, what talents you think God gave you? And he said to them, you leave and you come back next week and you bring that piece of paper back. And so about 90% of the people brought the piece of paper back the following Sunday. And he said to them, look at that piece of paper. Now I'm saying to you, go and do what's on that piece of paper. Go and do that. That church grew from 400 to almost 3,000. Because they took it to heart to go and do what they wrote on that piece of paper. Because you know what your gift is. You know what it is that God has put in your heart. You know exactly what it is that you've been called to do. And if you're unsure, you need a week's time, you're going to pray about this. And I promise you, I promise you this, God is not going to be silent. He is not silent. His word teaches me that. God is not silent when it comes to um, equipping and using the body of Christ. That is the power of when. The church get it. Every single person get it, what it is that they need to do. The whole Luke 15, there's three different section, sections, and it, and, it, and it covers one theme. That which is lost must be found. A effort, an effort must be made to, to, to find whatever is lost. First is the sheep that is lost. Then it's the coin that is lost. And then it is the son that was lost. And here's the thing, through all of those, our Lord Jesus teaches us this one thing. It is not just about finding that lost person, because you can resonate with this, because you and I have been there. But that moment that it happens, something happens. listen. Luke 15, 7, in that same whole chapter says this, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 just persons who need no repentance. And then in verse 10 of that same chapter, Luke 15, says this, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's the power of finding the one. They come to the Lord, but there's rejoicing in the heavens. God rejoices because you and I who are going out, we are doing God's will. We are His extension. And there's rejoicing in the heavens. We have neglected evangelism in in, in the church. And I know it's a word that that most people are not comfortable with, but just, just hear me out. It is witnessing. It is being available to be used by God Because we have neglected that by virtue of two things. And I wrote down here, the one is personal resistance and religious resistance. Now, the personal resistance we've heard all over. Oh, no, that's not for me. I I cannot do that. I'm too shy, you know. I don't know the Bible that well, so I I can't go and speak to a person. It is not for me. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but many of you have been there, including this person. And here is the truth. What we are saying there is exactly right. Because our frame of mind in saying those things are fixed upon what we are not able to do. And we are not able to do it. It is through the Holy Spirit who's got the the, the power to do it through us. We just avail ourselves. Remember what we said earlier? We've got the authority. The Holy Spirit gives us the power. No person can reach another person by themselves. That means... If we go out and want to be used by, the, by, by God in the, in, in the world out there, it has to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it by ourselves. Then there's the religious resistance. Oh, no, you know, no, that's not my gifting. You know, that's not my gifting. That's not my calling. That's not, not what God has called me to be, you know. That, that's someone else's. And my favorite above all, you know, God, God knows my heart. You know, no, no, God knows my heart. God knows my heart. I'm not going to do this, but He knows my heart. Please share your heart with us. We would like to know what it is. The truth is we can't escape this because God is still yearning to just use one, and it starts with one. It really just starts with one. Warren Buffett, most of you have heard about him or of him. He's a billionaire businessman, investor, he said this thing, the way to leave people with a positive experience is what differentiate successful businesses from the rest. And that positive experience that you leave is for one thing only, take an interest in the person. Because if that person has a positive experience, the likelihood of that person returning to you is Great. And I thought, okay, well, that's smart, but that's a biblical principle. Because if we take interest in another person, a lost person, because someone did this for you and me, we didn't walk out the womb into salvation. Somebody prayed for you or you and I. Somebody interceded for us. Somebody made it a very serious task to intercede for us. Somebody took a personal interest in us and God has been doing it since creation. Before that, even he says, when he was thinking about us, God takes a personal interest in every single one of us. And then he goes on to explain this. He says, what differentiate great leaders and successful leaders from any other person is this, because it is humanly impossible to equally have the same interest in every person. Only God is able to do that. But the successful companies do this. That which is close to their heart, the interest they have in a person, the care that they have for the person, the values that they try to um, exhibit out there, what those people do, they find a way to multiply themselves amongst their staff. And when the staff deal with the people, they deal with the people as if it is the owner of the company who speaks to them. And I can truly say in this church, it is like that. The love and the care that Pastor Harold and Maud have for each and every single one of you, that is multiplied to the staff that works at LFCC here. And we are their extension to reach out where they cannot, but it's all in the body of Christ that we do. And that again is a biblical principle because that is what God did. He multiplied his son through you and I, the church. We are the extension of Christ to reach out there and to be the person who says, it starts with me. I am that one that the Lord wants to use and you can be used if we get over our fears. Yes, let's give God a praise offering because it starts with, with you. Look at the person that's sitting next to you. Look at that person. That person is not the person who's going to do this instead of you. That person is the one who's going to do this with you, together with you. Yes, we are going to do this together. Amen. I want to read Isaiah 6 for you quickly. This is now Isaiah who was visited by the angel and he saw this. The seraphim touched his mouth and then the seraphim said this to him in verse 7. Behold, this has touched your lips. He put a coal to his lips. This has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. And then he heard another voice, the voice of the Lord now. And the voice of the Lord says this, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah said, I said, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. He didn't think about this. He just said, here I am, Lord, send me. Who is that person, that one person that is going to say, I will open up my house this year and they can have fellowship in my house. Who is that person that is going to say, I am that one who is saying, I know that there's a call upon my life to lead and therefore I will take up that responsibility and become a leader, a cell leader this year. Who is that person that is going to say, I will in my business start this year with a prayer meeting? Who is the person who is going to stand up and say, I am that one person who is going to start a prayer cell? Who is that one person that is saying tonight and for the rest? of their lives, I will avail myself to be served. I will come and serve wherever it is. There's Etembeni. There's the children's ministry. There's the prison's ministry. There's the ushering. There are many ways to serve. Who is that person that is going to say, please Lord, send me because I am that one who says it starts with me. Let that be your challenge because a church that doesn't challenge is an ineffective church, because here is an effective church. An effective church is this church. People come to the church on the Lord's day, on a Sunday, and they receive, and they are fed, and they are filled up. They come to church on that one day. The other six days, they are the church. They pour out What has been given unto them. So that when they come back the following Sunday, they are empty and yet ready to be filled up again. To be used. To be the church for six other days out there. That is an effective church. That is when we go out and we are the church out there. We cannot be a place to have obese Christians. The obese Christian is the one who sits and just gets and just receive, and just gathers, and you just get full. And unfortunately for that person, at some point in time, there is a ceiling. There's a ceiling because you can only receive so much. Because there will come a time when you will not become teachable, you will become complacent, you will start complaining, you will be, uh, you'll be criticizing because this is not right and that is not right. It's because you are so filled up with what you have received, you have never found a way to let it go and to bless others with it. This is an effective church. That is the church that God's looking at. And you are never alone. I want to say to you, you are never alone. You've always got God with you. That you have to know. He's got you back. He said to you, He's coming for you. I've come to seek you and to save you. So you're never alone. And God proves it all through Scripture. Moses wasn't alone. When he left Egypt, there was Aaron and Miriam with him. And later in the desert, there was Joshua with him. Elijah wasn't alone. He had Elisha with him. Ruth wasn't alone. She had Naomi with her. Esther wasn't alone. She had Mordecai with her. David wasn't alone. He had Jonathan with him. Paul wasn't alone. He had Silas and Barnabas. We are not alone. We have to understand this. God will help us. And God will help us with people to go out. He sent the disciples out two by two. You are not alone. But the truth is, if you say, it starts with me, Lord, then look what God does in His Word. He sent Jonah against Jonah's will, but Jonah had to succumb. Jonah evangelized a whole city called Nineveh. That's the power of one person who says, it starts with me. I say, send me, Lord. God sent one man to Egypt, Joseph. A nation was born, and, and 70 went there when his, when his father came along. And in the end, it was more than a million that left when they, when they left Egypt. God uses one. He used Esther, and she saved the destruction of a whole nation called Israel. God sent His Son that no one who believes would perish. No one who believes would perish. God sent one, but Jesus Christ was not alone. He had the Holy Spirit with him. God doesn't send us out alone, but one person can can affect a multitude of people. The question is, am I that one that is going to avail myself to be used by God? Am I that person that is going to be used by God? Let's bow our heads because I've come to the close of my sermon and I always believe we must present this opportunity because who knows if it will come around again. Now Revelation 3 verse 20 says this. I just read for you. Please bow your heads and listen to what the word of God says. God says this, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. God is knocking at the door. And if you have not opened up that door, some people open the door, but they never invite Jesus in. If you have never invited Jesus in, and I'm not talking about, yes, I know Jesus. I'm talking about, do you know him personally? Because he knows you personally. If you want to get to know him personally, and if you realize you are dependent upon him, then this is the invitation for you tonight. If you want to come and receive him tonight and not only open the door, but allow him to come in. I want you to raise your hand for me tonight. Because we will pray for you. We want to pray for you. And it's important. Thank you. Praise the Lord. God bless. God bless. And if you've been that person that has strayed away, that you've become lukewarm, that the fire is not burning there anymore, that you're not even sure tonight that should the Lord comes and we stand before him, that you're not even sure that the Lord will say, yes, welcome my son, welcome my daughter, here receive your crown. If you are not certain that tonight you will receive that, I want you to raise your hand as well for me because we want to pray for you as well. Any such person, please raise your hand for me because we want to pray for you. You are that important. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you. There as well at the back. Praise God. Can I ask that all those people that raise their hands, please stand for me. You are that important. And you're not going to be alone. We're going to pray for you and there are going to people with you with. Yes, give them a praise offering. Please come to the front for me. Please come to the front for me. Yes, they're at the back as well. Please come. There's a person there I know that put up their hand. Please come. You are that important. Don't let the devil rob you tonight from not coming to the front. Amen. Let's look at this. Praise God. You are that important. You are that important. Come, listen. Come, my sister. God has called you out tonight. And you, dear brother, as well. And all of you. And all of you. It is beautiful. It is beautiful to see. And I want to read this again for you. Out of the book of Luke 15. Because this, dear brothers and sisters. This is what is happening at this particular point in time. It says, I say to you. There is joy tonight in the presence of the angels of God over the sinner that has repented. There is joy tonight. Please, please, you must know how precious you are in the sight of God because it is your night. Mark this day. Mark this day and remember it because it is the day that out of boldness you step to the front and you said, I'm not afraid anymore and God can use you. God doesn't send perfect people. God sends sinners to go and minister to sinners. We are all sinners. The difference is just sin doesn't reign in us anymore. We repent of it and we've overcome it through Christ. And now you are joining the club, so to speak. So welcome to the club. Let's give God a praise offering for them once again. Now, I want you to pray this after me, and I want the congregation to repeat this after me as we pray this upon them as well. So repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, and I ask you, please forgive me my sins. Please wash me in the blood of Jesus Christ. I confess that Jesus is the Son of God. And that God the Father raised Him from the dead. I therefore now am saved. My name is written in God's Lamb's book of life. Please now come, Father, and fill me with Your Holy Spirit and wash me clean. And I forgive all people that have sinned against me because the punishment of my peace was upon Jesus Christ and by his stripes I am healed. Amen. Let's give God a praise offering. For more teachings like this and other material, please visit our website at www.littlefallsonline.com